The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa is for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide a physician-patient relationship, give diagnoses, prescribe treatment, or do psychotherapy. Please contact your health care provider to obtain treatment. Discover your body's natural ability to heal. Welcome to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Have you ever suffered from moodiness, irritability, insomnia because a relationship in your life was driving you crazy? Have you ever had weight gain, digestive problems, fatigue, thyroid problems, hair loss, your, rela- your relationship and your health spiraling out of control? If you've ever been consumed by a relationship and had your resources and health be equally consume. Today's your day because we're going to discuss are you addicted to a narcissist? In today's world, it's very common to see people have their life spiral out of control. So you'll hear people go, you know, their life spiraling out of control. It's the alcohol or it's the drugs or it's, you know, it's that opiates. Well, there's another one in town. They'll say he or she's life spiraling out of control. That's that narcissist. Today's show is going to change your life because it's going to teach you how to use mind, body, and medical intuition to handle the addiction of your life spiraling out of control with a narcissist. We're taking your calls. 816-251-3555 from within the U.S. and Canada. And remember, unityonlineradio.org is live, live every Wednesday 4 p.m. Central Time, 5 p.m. Eastern. And you can get the show on your favorite podcast provider, as well as join the live show with a question every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. You know, I don't know about you, but I started getting this thing in the email called Quora. Didn't know what it was. It was people answering questions. The first one I got was everybody about Mensa IQ. And some of the people were a little irritable. (laughs) They did not have a sense of humor. And then I started getting all of these questions about narcs, N-A-R-C. I don't know about you, but I used to think a narc had to do with narcotics. (laughs) I'm a physician. Narcotics, we'd say, you know, he's a narc, meaning he was a narcotics agent. But this particular group of people, narcs, 
they're talking about narcissists. And I actually thought that that was interesting correlation. So when you read them, people ask questions because they got somebody in their life that's driving them crazy. And apparently, they call them narcissists. And in the event that you care, I have a PhD in neuroanatomy, behavioral neuroscience, the anatomy of our psyche and our brain. But I'm also a psychiatrist. Basically, I became a psychiatrist. I wanted to be a brain surgeon and a neurologist, but my spine fell apart. So I became a psychiatrist because you could sit down and then a neuropsychiatrist because I dealt with brains, injury, and so on. So this past weekend, I was in hog heaven, loving every moment of on this course online about neuroanatomy and reading the circuits, again, of what they've done with addiction, dementia, oh, all kinds of things. And one of them was this entire circuit about reward, memory, emotion, and so on. And then I, it came to me writing this show, and I was stumped. And I went to Quora, and I kept reading all these questions that people had because they had someone who was a narcissist in their life. And they kept coming up with these terms. Like, how do you make a narcissist miserable? A narcissist is someone who's charming, charismatic, attractive, thinks that they are extremely powerful, charming, have unlimited success, honor, beauty, and you don't. They believe they should get privileges that other people don't. They crave an attention and praise, but they don't give anybody else. They lack compassion, they're jealous, and they have an aggression or irritability. I always say that they have trouble with right brain. They have trouble dividing attention between them and someone else's, meaning they need it all. Interesting enough, on this website, they talked about people who are very empathic or all right brain are attracted to people who are narcissists, have trouble sharing their right brains. And I thought that was interesting. So if you're very empathic and sensitive, it didn't surprise me that everybody's talking about how they're injured by a narcissist or what people used to call vampires. There was a whole vampire era there. And so we went on and on and on. And however, on the line, people started talking a lot about how do you make a narcissist miserable? You give them the silent treatment. You don't show them how you're rattled. You do things without them. And they go into incredible detail. And this didn't make sense to me until finally I went to the hairdresser today. And all of a sudden it occurred to me that the addiction circuit is identical to how an intuitive hooks someone who's in, how an intuitive or empath hooks someone who's narcissistic. Let me tell you how. Let's just say you. You have an incredible, incredible capacity to be clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient. So much that you can see someone's best and put a blind eye to their difficult side. And so when you look at somebody, them, you don't see the part of them that is not looking at everybody else with love. You just see the other half of them that looks at themselves with love. 
This is the area of brain called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are important, not because we project or mirror something on someone, no. Mirror neurons are that I look at you, you look at me, and we share love together. We identify with each other and love each other. It happens when a mother looks at a child and a child looks at her mother when they're born. They reflect love upon each other. And then at that moment, the child internalizes the mother into them. So like having a brooch, a cameo, on one's chest, they have incorporated that part of that person that loves them into their psyche. So they will never be empty. A narcissist doesn't have this. They can't do that. They don't have that kind of the brain. It doesn't work. So they're empty inside. They never really absorb someone really loving them permanently. So they constantly have to have one person after the other showering attention upon them. That's why they have to be constantly in the center of attention. Enough about me, more about me, and more about me. Because if they don't, they're empty inside. They don't have a cameo of their father, their mother, that aunt or that teacher. And even if you didn't have a mother or a father, there was some stand-in in your life that was a, a somebody who stood in for that that you incorporated love. That's why we have dollies. That's why we have animals, pets. Somewhere you got, you incorporated that something loved you unconditionally. They can't get that. So narcissists don't connect. They project. So they take their feelings of anger, irritability, and they send them on you. So when they try to have a relationship with someone, they don't do it for unconditional love. They do it because they need something. They're looking for something. So therefore, they use people like chairs, furniture. At first, you won't see that because you look at that person with adoring eyes. But then after a while, you realize you need something from them. You need to feel something back, mirror, mirror on the wall. You want a reflection. You want a reflection of what you give to them. And they can't. And they get angry. They get angry. And what they do is they project. They can't connect. They project. And they go, what do you want? What do you want? Because they're projecting what they do when they shine adoration on you. They did that when they first got involved with you. You're like, oh, my God, this person's amazing. They shine an incredibly bright, charismatic light on you. And you fall for that chemical, dopamine, opiates. So first you get the hook, a distorted perception of them. And then your mirror neuron exaggerates who they are. And then that goes to an area in your brain, the amygdala, where your body picks it up and it goes to the hypothalamus. And next thing you know, your whole circadian rhythm, getting up, going to sleep, eating, every part of your cycle, first through seventh chakra, gets entrained with them. 
to your life is consumed, eating, sleeping, phone calls, your thoughts, your circadian rhythm gets entrained with them. That's where we have a problem. And then you start laying down memories, hippocampus. Remember that time we went to? Remember that time? And then they start shaping you. They start training you because that's what they need. Their relationships are utilitarian. You become a marionette. They need things from people. They call it transactional relationships. It's not that they're bad people. They're handicapped people. They have trouble with mirror neurons, joint attention, and compassion. If you say you need them or you act in pain, they'll have revulsion for you. Oh, you're weak. I can't believe you're, you're so needy like that. And you will feel so bad about yourself. Your self-esteem will go down and theirs will become inflated or more narcissistic. And then when they're good, you feel reward, opiates. And when they're shining light on you, it helps with that sadness, that sensitive empathic part of you, the cingulate area, the anxious part of an intuitive the sad, melancholy part of an intuitive. But when they're great, it releases dopamine and it's elevating and it's exciting and it's rewarding. However, being in their chaotic, dramatic, up and down life, it releases NMDA, which is an excited toxin, which eventually burns out your brain. Eventually, sympathetic nervous system goes up and this excitement of drama up and down, up and down, epinephrine goes up Parasympathetic goes down, up and down, up and down. Dopamine goes up. And it's like a monotony. And you'll think, are they bipolar? Up and down, up and down, up and down. You're doing emotional, psychological calisthenics. And then eventually you realize that your brain is getting fried. When they sense that you're leaving, they will leave you. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and we're talking, leave you first. We're talking about, are you addicted to a narcissist? The biochemistry is the same. The reward, the hijacking of your attentional circuits, the problems with weight, digestion, immune system, mood, irritability, sleep, cutting you off from your family and friends, changing your biorhythms, your circadian rhythms, not to mention frying your brain circuits with NMDA. All of this is the same circuit for addiction. And the solutions are similar too, which we're going to get to. If you want to know more of the solutions to today's show, you want to go to my Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa, Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa 1, or Twitter, Dr. Mona Lisa 2. If you can't get online today and want a private reading, you want to go to my www.drmonalisa.com, my website, www.drmonalisa.com, or 207-846-6475, 207-846-6475. We will go to line one. Beverly, I'm Dr. Mona Lisa. How can I be of help? Hello. It's so delightful to uh, speak with you and get through. So, How can um, I be of help? Yes, ma'am. 
I have a tenacious food addiction, compulsive overeating, especially at night. That's it. Okay. The I mean, first not thing. That's the primary thing. Okay, hold on one second. So, okay. the first thing that I see is. And how old are you, Beverly? You're 57? 57. The first thing I see is, you know what they did? They do on a psych unit when someone's angry? Say that again. Do I do what when, when someone angry? When someone is angry on a psych unit, they feed them carbs. Carbs, you can't, it, and they feed them spaghetti, actually. It's very hard to be angry if you're eating spaghetti. The other thing is, when I was on the unit treating patients, and patients were depressed, had trouble with serotonin, yeah. frequently they would come in and tell me that they ate cereal at night. Yeah. It's interesting. Are you in a car? I'm in a car, yeah. Um, okay. I'm doing the ketogenic program, by the way. Okay, wait a minute. I understand that, but that's the problem. Because okay. even though they say... The ketogenic is better for your brain, ketones. Yeah. I'm an epileptic, and I did the ketone diet between 82 and 85. My favorite is when I explained that to someone. She said, but you, did you do the new ketone diet? You know what? Leave me alone, <laughs> okay? <laughs> the point of the matter is everybody is not, no, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. And the same thing with diet. You can try something and it works, and then you change course. Now you're on the highway, right? And you can do yeah, map I'm quest. Yeah, into it. I know you can do map quest, and they can tell you that highway is great and it's going to take you where you are. And you're sailing around fine, just like ketogenic. And then all of a sudden, you hit traffic, right? So you're going to change route, and map quest will recalculate the route. The same thing with a meal plan or diet. I don't like to say diet, meal plan. Sometimes yeah. ketogenic diet will work for a while, and then you hit a traffic jam. It stops working. Okay. And people go, well, you're not doing it right. Well, you know, I've gone to enough doctors, and I've seen enough patients. But I remember I used to have somebody work for me, and I had a coffee pot, one of those things that half the pot ground the beans, and the other pot made the coffee. And this particular coffee pot, I bought it three times and it broke each time, three times. And the button that began the whole process would break. So I would ask my assistant to fix it. And he eventually told me, now I have two doctorates and he had an associate's degree. He told me it was breaking because I was pressing the button wrong. <laughs> Are you following me? And I got really annoyed. And I said, is that all you got for me? I'm pressing the button wrong? I think I know how to press a button. And I'm certainly having my buttons pressed right now. Suffice it to say, he got the message. My point is, I think right now, by now, you know how to do a ketogenic diet, correctly? Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. I think that when I look at you, I see an irritability. Irritability is anger is part of our body's intuitive guidance system. It lets us know that something in our life has changed. Every illness is always in part due to diet, genetics, the environment, and so on. But every illness has an emotional, intuitive component. 
when we're having a problem, third center with self-esteem or being around someone with inflated self-esteem, it can injure the organs in our third center, digestion, weight, adrenal gland, cortisol, insulin, weight, independent of what we eat. Are you following me? Unfortunately, what happens to people is they eat less and less, get more and more fastidious with their diet, and they're not willing to understand that there's something else in their life that might be affecting their metabolism. One of it is anger. Anger is one of the most weightogenic emotions, which means it makes you gain weight. Mm. And it will work its way around a diet. Does that mean stop being angry? Hell no. If there's a baby screaming on a plane, you don't go up to the baby and go, listen, you are being unspiritual, cut it out. You try to find out what the need of the baby is. Now, every anger has a prompting emotion. It means you're not getting the right respect. Something pleasurable has stopped. Or you have a thought pattern that keeps stuck on. I'm right, they're wrong, things should be different. I see somebody in your life, Beverly, whose mind is in the clouds. They're in their own world. Unfortunately, they're in, you have to take care of that world. You have to take care of them. And mm-hmm. it's getting pretty old. And yeah. they could do better, but they don't want to. And as a result, you end up carrying responsibility and working in a way that's not using all of your gifts, talents, and skills because you have yeah. to carry you and them. Who is this person? Uh, my um, roommate. X, and she's my ex as well. Don't you love it when a game plan comes together? (laughs) She's your ex, and she's your roommate. If she's your roommate, she pays what? Uh, Well, no, I pay her. She pays rent. Right. Is she working? Oh, yeah. She's actually sponsoring me right now because I have, I'm trying to heal from cancer. Oh, my God. I look at your head. I see problems with focus, attention, sustained attention, distractibility, vision. I see fog in your brain. I can't figure out if this is some kind of chemical you've taken changes in brain chemistry, blood sugar, sodium, potassium, various chemicals. I look at your neck. I look at your thyroid. I see a red dotted pattern on the left side of your neck. I look at your left lung, right lung, left breast, right breast. I see a red dotted pattern in the left side of your chest wall. I look at your esophagus, stomach, liver, gallbladder, colon, and rectal areas. I see a red dotted pattern in your right upper quadrant near where your liver and gallbladder would be. I can't figure out if you have had excess fatty fat in your liver area, excess glycogen. I just see red dotted pattern there. I look at your left kidney, right kidney, bladder, uterus, left ovary, red ovary, and cervix if you still have them. In the past, I saw something lost, something removed. I see in the past a capacity to have hormonally sensitive densities in your right flank area. 
near where your ovary would be in the past. Your body has a heaviness to a feeling of being weighted down. Excess body fat has made excess estrogen. Can you please tell me your health concerns, Beverly? Yeah, so um, the food addiction you addressed, um, uh, I'm healing from breast cancer integratively, no chemo, no radiation. Where and, did it uh, spread? Where did it candida. spread? Where did it spread? It didn't, it didn't spread. How big was it? It was about the size of an almond. Which breast? Right. Do you have family? Uh, no. Do you have friends? Yes. Where? Chicago, here with me. Well, and overseas. I'm being blunt. Is she your only oh. friend? Oh, no. Heavens, no. Good. Move. Do you know why? Uh, yeah, everything you said I already figured out in I know, but and... insight is associated with acquiring behavior. When oh, you're, okay, okay. Let me give you an example, okay? If you were married to her and you were divorced, right? Right. But you were still friends. So imagine you're living with your ex wife or husband, all right? Mm. And they're helping you through your cancer. Mm. Now that I've reframed it that way, do you get that? I do, absolutely. Therefore, I've, I've missed one of my health concerns, which is that um, I have unbelievable anxiety towards... No, uh, I, can I tell you? I understand that. I understand that. That's why you're going to get DBT. But you understand... Okay whether it's candida or any of that stuff. That's like having three kings in your hand, but talking about the two and the seven. <laughs> okay. The breast cancer trumps the three kings, trumps the two and the seven. Sure. The candida is not it. You're going to go get DBT, and you're going to tell them you have breast cancer, and you're staying with an ex-partner who's a friend because you're having trouble with anxiety and leaving. Yeah. Did you get it? Yeah. People were anxious about leaving the Titanic too. Leave. Well, it's anxious about career, not just leaving her. It's money and, I, and I career. Know. Can I tell you? I, hey, listen. Rome is not built in an afternoon. That's what anxiety yeah. does. It takes everything your anxiety about, thinks about it, so we can be nice and paralyzed. Okay. I'm not looking down on you. I've had breast cancer. Yeah. In both breasts. I know it's terrifying, but you've got yeah. to get better so you can get better. Good luck, okay? There's okay. my music. You know what that means. When we, when we come back, we're going to talk about the seven steps to getting unaddicted from a narcissist. You're listening to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Welcome 
Welcome back to Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Today's show has been dedicated to the problem of narcissism addiction. You know, like that person you're stuck on, drives you crazy, makes you sick, but you can't leave. Then you leave, you go back, you leave, you go back. And then you trove the web and try to find out ways so you can get them at, get at them and make them better. They still don't get better. Then they leave you and then you feel awful. You know the type. We've learned that our brains get hooked on these kinds of people. We're empathic. We see something special in them. And they are. Their brains are different. When we love someone, we look into them. They love us. And we love them. That's like a mirror. However, though that part of their brain, that doesn't work that well. So when they look at someone, they can't mirror back compassion. When they see someone, they see someone who can do something for them. Opportunity. People call it a transactional relationship. They use people like furniture and they rearrange them. And when they're not needed anymore, they discard you. I know that sounds cold and heartless, heart, heartless but... We now have compassion for people with Asperger's or autism. They have trouble with divided emotional attention themselves and somebody else. They get anxious. These people have trouble with divided emotional attention themselves and someone else. All their attention has to be on them and none of it has to be on someone else. We can have compassion for these people, but we have to understand we cannot change them. We can love them but love them at a distance. I was once told by a therapist, you can love them, but you don't have to have them on your lap. They bite. So if I explain the circuit from your perception, especially intuition, being able to see someone's potential, because they don't connect, they project. They'll accuse you of the most awful things like, when you do something nice for them, what's your angle? What are you trying to do? They accuse you of being selfish, self-centered, being needy, desperate. Whenever you need one thing for the 10 things you've done for them. Ultimately, your brain circuits get taken up by them. Whether it's your circadian rhythm and your hypothalamus, your whole day, getting up, going to sleep, eating, your circuits for paying attention, your mood, your sense of courage, your anxiety and depression gets treated by neurotransmitters they provide. They look charming, charismatic, attractive. Nothing seems to make them afraid. And you don't seem to be afraid when you're with them. Ultimately, you become chemically addicted to them. You get dopamine, courage from being around them. Your sympathetic nervous system seems to be empowered. And the drama in their life, the drama... It just is so fun that it doesn't feel necessary to relax. Around and around and around we go. And your life becomes entrained in them. And eventually, this amount of excitement, the ups and downs, the arguments creates excited toxins, NMDA. Brain and body gets hijacked that you get burned out. And when you try to leave, the hook is in you. You're addicted just like you've been addicted and your brain and body have been hijacked 
and your life has been taken over by this person. What is it? What is the suggestion? One, stop your one-stop neurotransmitter shopping. You can't have all of your attention in your life focused on one person. You can't get all of re your reward and happiness from one person in your life. Diversify. You have to literally have some time for family, have some time to make money, have some time with a career, and make sure these people, this is with all different people, incidentally. If it's all with one person, that's them, you got a big problem. Some time with children or children like people, like pets, animals. Some time with having activism in the world. Some time with six-center intellectual development. Some time with spirituality. And all of these things should be with different people. Not necessarily this person. So you can get neurotransmitters of reward, opiates, dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, different people. And so that your circadian rhythm, your, your schedule in your brain of eating, sleeping, relating is not so keyed in with this one person. And then treat your depression and anxiety so that you're not like a marionette up and down, up and down, up and down. Your moods are not up and down depending on how this person treats you. Import reward opiates from other things. Exercise releases opiates. Getting skills, mastering them, releases opiates. Otherwise, your self-esteem and opiates reward will come from trying to get this person to acknowledge your unique gifts, which will be always just held out of reach. Import excitement from somewhere else. Watch some movies. Watch kids. Watch the political campaign. Watch anything but disengage from one-stop neurotransmitter shopping. Clean your mirror neurons. Get Windex or organics something and clean it out. Or get someone else to clean your mirror on because you obviously have a relationship cataract. You're not seeing this person clearly, especially if you say things, well, oh, they mean well, or they give me a lot of emotional support. And if other people are shaking their head going, oh my God, you drank the Kool-Aid, then you got it bad. Or if you say things like, it's a lot more complicated than you're thinking, you've got it bad. Get someone to help you clear out your mirror because you're really falling for this person's projections. And then seven, get mindfulness so that you can reset your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, your brain circuitry, and your body so that you can improve your health, your immune system, your hair, your digestive tract, your thyroid, your sleep, and your mood so that it's less affected by the ups and downs and the sideways of this relationship. I'm Dr. Melissa, and we're talking about addiction to narcissists. We'll go to line two. Laura, I'm Dr. Melissa. How can I be of help? Hi, Dr. Mona Lisa. This is Laura. Yes. How can I be of help? Hi. Um, this is a really great show, and I'm, I love your tips. Are feel very, um, very practical and applicable to 
the last relationship that I was just in. And it, it's kind of affirming because I do feel like I'm I'm hitting some of those um, points that you were just making about how to fill yourself up. Um, but the, the my big con- bigger concern now is my daughter. And um, how old your daughter? Uh, she's sixteen. Okay. First of all, let me explain this to you. Okay. It's particularly difficult because. Obviously, you have mirror neurons with your daughter. You look into her, she's supposed to look at you back. Mm -hmm. But your daughter has half of the DNA of somebody else. Mm -hmm. What's her father like? Um, he's he's a pretty good guy. Um, I think he gets depressed. Um, I think that he he gets stuck in ruts. So he sort of has this repetitive. Let me explain. Let me explain what I see. Okay. Okay. I see you're trying to go to the next developmental phase in your life, and I see that you're 48. So that means you're trying to go to um, start to remove parts of your brain circuits, and your daughter's supposed to be getting those areas for becoming more reliable on herself, be able to soothe her own, own moods. I know you're still her mother. You should be doing less for her as far as her using you as an emotional Kleenex. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. Somehow she's vying for power and control with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she understands who the parent is. Have you mm-hmm. been wearing your name tag? Does it say, <laughs> Laura, your mother, I'm the parent, I'm in charge? Well, I, I, we definitely got to a point where that had to happen, and I was starting to... I know, but the thing just... is, the problem is... I have four cats, and I would love to have them in the room while I do a radio show. And I used to. But it got out of hand (laughs) because they didn't understand that this house, I own this house, (laughs) and I have to work. So Mm -hmm. it got out of hand. So now they're shut up in the laundry room, and they don't like it, and they're screaming. And that has to be too bad. Mm-hmm. So I have to develop distress tolerance that I have four things that I love that are mad at me, mm-hmm. but that's too bad. I have to teach them that I'm in control and I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. You have to do that with dogs. You have to do that with cats. Apparently you have to do it with horses and you have to do it with kids. You have to do it with teenagers. And Well, you have to do it with a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old. And then at six, a teenager is kind of hard all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. To go, by the way, let me introduce yourself. I am the mother. I am in charge. And they used to right. say, I can take, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I know that is I used to have a friend who was very narcissistic. And they said that in this paperwork in Quora. They say, the narcissist will say this. You'll say nothing. You'll say nothing. You'll say nothing. Because you really hate people like you and me. We really hate conflicts. And so we'll do whatever we can to get along. You know, what do you want to see for a movie? Not nothing, really. What do you, whatever you want to see. You and I really go along with it, right? But we really save it for what we want. We really save it. Mm-hmm. Well, these people get mad when we finally take a stand and say something's not okay. And the way that they get mad is they'll say, well, you can't do that. You can't just stand up now. 
and all of a sudden act like everything's not okay. Mm-hmm. You should have been telling me all along. You can't all of a sudden be assertive like this. You should have been doing it all along. <laughs> so they still make it like you're wrong. Do you understand? My point yeah. is, is that's what she's she will do. No matter what you do, she will argue with you. She will even argue that you can't argue with her hmm. because she doesn't like authority, but not just you, anybody's. Mm-hmm. <sighs> who else well, in her I've, life is I've cool, distant? Just... I know. Wait a minute. Who else in her? Who else in her life is cool, distant, critical, and difficult to relate to? In her life? Yes. Um, Aloof. Aloof. Well, she's living with her father and his parents right now. Wait a minute. She's living with her father and his parents, so you're not together? No. She, like, right about the time when I was starting to really crack down on her is COVID happened, and she had the opportunity to go over to his house, and she's just never come back, and she doesn't talk to me. So does her um, father have problems with being aloof and distant? Her father? Yes. Um, yeah, but um, I mean, he's kind of um, he's kind of emotional and sweet, but I, he just like, um, I, I think he gets overwhelmed and then he shuts down. I, I guess. So, so he's he's You're feeling overly, aloof to me listen, right now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're overly empathic. And you do that thing that I talked about. You see someone. See the, see the bright side. And you put a blind eye that they're difficult. And you can always see the good way, reason why they're that way. Okay. So I say, is your husband, ex-husband cold, aloof, and distant? Yes, but he gets overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I tried to figure it out. He's definitely being that way to me right now, aloof and cold. I understand and non- that. I understand that. And as a result, she's not with you, so she's not treating you like you're an adequate parent. She's not giving you, treating you like you're a parent. She's not even treating me like someone she knows right now. She doesn't. She hasn't communicated with me hardly at all in the last six months just all of a sudden right and but you communicate with her father i look at your head i look at your eyes i look at your neck i see a pressure in your head area i can't figure out if it's vascular hormonal or what that is i look at your heart It feels like you have a lump in your throat. It's hard to swallow. I look at your left lung, right lung, left breast, right breast. Esophagus, stomach, liver, gallbladder, colon, and rectal area. I see a red dotted pattern where your esophagus and stomach come together. I can't figure out if that's an upset feeling in your stomach or what that is. I can't figure out if you have a change in motility where your esophagus and stomach come together. I wonder if after you eat, food gets stuck in your stomach. I look at your left kidney, right kidney, bladder, uterus, left ovary, right ovary, and cervix if you still have them. 
icy fatigue, dragginess, melancholy, sadness, problems falling asleep, staying asleep. I wonder if the hair on your head has a change in color, thickness, or distribution. Can you please tell me your health concerns? Um, I, I do feel tired. I feel unmotivated. Um, I have injuries. Um, I'm, I'm still an athlete, but I, the injuries are getting annoying and daily. So bones, um, joints, you're, you feel achiness in your body, bones and joints. Yeah, my joints, definitely. Do you take, do you take supplements or medicines for them? Um, I, I take collagen. I definitely have collagen every single day. Um, that's, I mean, I have some other supplements, but I don't always take them like magnesium. You have to be careful of your stomach or because whatever it is, magnesium or something is bothering your stomach. Let me, you have to take something for your mood. I can't figure out if it's a separation from your daughter, your family, Mm -hmm. the divorce, but your mood feels down as a result. Mm -hmm your pain threshold will go down. And if that means you can't exercise as much, your opiates will go down. Okay. And I wonder whether or not the lack of contact with people who treat you crappy or somewhat self-absorbed is making you Mm -hmm. feel worse. You said the lack of contact with people who treat me crappy? Because, yes, because... Kind of like your, what you're the subject yes, of your... Yes, exactly what I was trying to explain. Uh, so if she's paid... This, so this person who treats you awful, if she spent more time with just paid attention to you, you'd actually I'd feel better. I'd be happier. Better. Yes, uh, it's awful. Oh my, my point God. is, is that your husband should be encouraging your daughter to spend time with you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you have to talk to whoever is involved with your marriage or your children or whoever was involved in that. Usually, it's when the, the when you go through divorce and mediation, uh-huh. you have to talk about the whole issue of, you know, visitation. Okay. Because you don't want parental alienation. This is unhealthy. Yeah, I agree. And you have to find out what's making it, what's fueling it. Because okay. surely, people are seeing their parents if they're seeing their friends. If anything, from the other side of a parking lot with a mask. This doesn't okay. make sense. You know what I mean? I agree. Yes. So yes. something is getting wrong. And if anything, the father seems to be impacted. But your capacity to see the father clearly, does it's like you have him idealized. Okay. The person who has a problem with their eyes that need to be checked is you. Okay. And unless you can see him more clearly, you won't be able to help her better. And you will get more and more depressed because your mood is becoming more dependent on your daughter deigning to um, give you, grant you a visitation from the queen. (laughs) Do you understand yeah, I, 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 what I hear you saying is that I should definitely address the situation and make sure that I am in her life. Well, yeah, For, and that you should make sure you have to figure out how to be assertive and have authority because she, she came out of you. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Did you get it? Gotcha. Yes. Good luck. You take it easy. Thank you Thank so you much. So I really much. appreciate it. Not a problem. We will go to line three. Moni, my name is Dr. Mona Lisa. How can I be of help? Hi, Dr. Mona Lisa. Thank you so much for taking my call. I, I realize that I have uh, addictions to narcissistic people pretty much throughout everywhere, male and female world, as well as um, my, my mother, who I think is uh, maybe the main culprit. Well, let me I, explain, I don't know. first of all, you don't want to look at the main culprit, pro, culprit. You want to look at your brain. We only have a few minutes, but you want to look at your brain wiring. Because mm -hmm. it feels like right now your mother really isn't in a place to be able to really um, fix relatedness. Either she's mm -hmm. not here or she's not all there or something. So mm -hmm. for you to be able to fix it with her is not going to be able to get you squared away with anybody else. Where is your mother? Uh, she lives about uh, 20 minutes south of me here in New what's Jersey. Her brain, what's her brain like? Oh, well, she's 81 now, and she's displaying symptoms of uh, things not going so well anymore there. Uh, she's, she's becoming forgetful, and she's okay. becoming more angry. Okay. So though you might, it would be difficult for you to relate to her now, because either it might be an exaggerated sense of the way she used to be, or it will trigger you into reacting from the past on today when this isn't the same person. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? And that's not helpful. Right. It doesn't heal you from the past. The thing is, is I saw that some of relationship you had, you were trying to have a relationship with someone and th some third person just kind of came in and... Um, ripped off your relationship and since mm -hmm. that time you've been in the holding pattern how long ago were you in a relationship uh, I, I mean I, I i don't know i i'm in this little part-time relationship on and off now for the last six years but well, let me I give mean, you the part time were you in mm -hmm. a relationship and someone had an affair on you and that was it for you Yes, that was definitely there. What happened? Well, I, I, I just had this intuition that something wasn't right, and I drove over to the, a friend's boyfriend's house at the time, and his old ex-fiancé was there, and there were noises in the bedroom. Well, that's pretty traumatic, and you saw this. I didn't physically see them, but I heard them. And after that, I could never get an answer. I was never spoken to wait, again. No, 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 no. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. Stop, stop. Mm -hmm. After that, you could never get an answer? Yeah, he, he wouldn't answer me. He would never admit to it, but it was well wait known minute, wait all minute, around. Wait a, minute. wait a minute. Why did you need an answer? That's my point. That's the addiction. Mm -hmm. You wanted him to admit that? They don't admit anything. They're incapable. If they admit, you would want them to have shame about it. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. Yes, yes, I do. You're right. I absolutely do. So you wanted that you, so you're still on the, I never could get an answer from them. You wanted them to respond mm -hmm. normally. 
but they reacted normally. So why do you want a person with an abnormal brain to respond normally? They can't. I, I suppose it comes from when I used to be ignored. If I haven't said no, no, something no, no. wrong, nobody would speak that. to me. Fine. Wait, no, I understand. I understand that, mm-hmm. that, that there's a reason. Okay. There may be a good reason why you are the way you are, but that doesn't give you the skill to move on and have a better, a better relationship. Right. So I guess for me, what I look at today is how can I move forward because I realize that I jeopardize relationships because I'm no, what you're doing hurt is, again. What, what you're doing now pretty much guarantees it. You're having an on-again, off-again relationship, and you never mm-hmm. know what happens with a person when it's off. Right. So your brain manufactures hearing things about what they do in a room with somebody else. Mm. Do you see that? I, I, can, I can hear you clearly on that, yes. So you settle for something that's less. You settle mm-hmm. for some less expectation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I and do. And that guarantees that you will never get what you want. I don't want that, though. I mean, I'm 63 now. Like, I'd like to get it right at some point. So? I don't feel 63, but I, I, the birth certificate says I am. How do I, how do I change this? Do you have sex with this person? Then you're not, yes. you're not over the hill. You want a relationship. Okay. I want you to go to a relationship counselor that knows about addiction, especially sex okay. addiction, and they'll help you not okay. get involved with these people. I want to thank you for welcoming me into your day. You've been listening to Intuitive Healthy Living Intuitively with Dr. Mona Lisa. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.